This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And Court, if we had started recording this 15 minutes earlier, you might have hear me, heard me chomping down on a delicious salmon Caesar salad that I picked up in the refrigerated section at Zupan's. An excellent value, nine bucks. Lots of great values around the store. Yeah, their prepared meals are pretty great. In fact, uh, one of my favorite things to do is take advantage of Zupan's when it's the holidays, and we've got some holidays going on, Chris. Yeah, we got uh, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah coming up uh, September 18th uh, to the 20th, Rosh Hashanah. And then right after that, Yom Kippur, get main dishes like red wine, braised brisket, cedar plank salmon, and chicken marbella. And one of my favorites is that lox tray that serves 12 to 15 people. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, you've got other things like bakery sweets, Dutch apple pie. You've got brunch items like fresh squeezed orange juice or a fresh fruit tray. If you go to zoopans.com right now, uh, right there on the front page, you can click in and see the full high holiday menu. It's pretty great. Yeah. And it's available September 15th to 28th. Give them 48 hours notice and you can just pick it up. Also, something that needs to be on your radar because it's been on, on our radar all summer long is the lobster and clam bake. And Chris, the final one is around the corner. We're talking about September 26th. It's something that uh, you, Chris, took advantage of the first time around. So, again, the final lobster and clam bake taking place September 26th. Get those orders in. This serves two. Uh, the items come ready to heat, and they're packaged in oven-safe containers. They make it super easy for you. And you've got the the cheese and car- charcuterie board in there. You've got, of course, your typical lobster and clam bake, which has the baby kale, roasted potatoes, steamed corn, clams, uh, wild Mexican shrimp, Olympia Provisions Kilbasa, and of course, this is all paired uh, very nicely with Lytle Barnett Vintage 2013 Blanc de Noir. So uh, get full details, as we mentioned, online at zoopans.com, or you know you can stop on by your local Zoopans and get more information. That includes West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. All right, it's time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles. Thank you, Court. I can't wait till we're actually in the studio together so I can critique your hat or anything. Right. Just just rant face to face. Let me uh, me, uh, paint a picture for you. I'm wearing just a a boring old black hat, but I've got on some uh, colorful shorts and a colorful shirt because... Uh, you know, it's hellscape outside, and I figure I needed to brighten up my life somehow. Yeah, well, wear those clothes while you can. Right. That's uh, that's the way I view it. So it's crazy out there. It literally is like it feels like, yeah, this is what the end of the world is going to be like. We don't know what's coming next. Flying monkeys next week. Sure. Wouldn't so, surprise uh, any of us now. Yeah, so I'm in Portland, and so I am... Right. I'm in Southwest Portland and I just drove down. I had something to get at Home Depot and I just went south of Haynes Street. Yeah. I got off at that exit. And the difference between the smoke concentration where I am in Southwest Portland, you know, somewhere around Capitol Highway and Barber and Haynes Street was insane. It was like that was the line of embarkation. Yeah. I started the morning in Manzanita with just a little bit of smoke. But that's been on and off. The other day it was perfectly clear when everybody else was smoky. So um, 
let's hope the winds change and the weather changes a little bit so that everybody's out of harm. Most people are out of harm's way. Everyone's out of harm's way. Yeah. Fingers crossed on all of that. Yeah. It's, it's really, really awful. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I hope we're back in the studio soon, as I said. In the meanwhile, we had a great interview with Greg Higgins of Piggins last week, which I suggest everybody listen to because it was the it was the first that we hadn't done as a classic episode in quite a while. Yep. Uh, we have another one next week coming up with Jonathan Gill of Ringside Steakhouse. Um, that's kind of a fun one to see how Ringside has retooled and. Um, Follow him in his trajectory towards being um, the chef at ringside. Um, and this week, uh, we're doing another one of our favorite classic episodes. It's Kai Koo of Dunway Canting. Um, the reason, one of the reasons, actually, I was looking for a classic episode and thought, well, that interview was fantastic from about a year and a half ago. Right. Um, and then I saw last night he posted that he's going to be on Chopped uh, this coming week. So that would be, um, what would that be, Court? 11 to 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, around the 15th there on Tuesday, go. I think. You got it. Yep. It 15th is Tuesday. Yeah, 15th of September. And so uh, we obviously don't know whether where he came out in the equation. We never do when we hear the chefs are on some of these TV shows, but um, he's a really nice guy. He's outgoing. He's a Korean guy cooking Chinese food. Um, his partner spent years in Beijing. And so uh, Dunway Canting has been open for a couple of years now um, over uh, not far from the rum club, right up the street from the rum club. And uh, it's a great restaurant, and more importantly, he's a really nice guy. I first met him when he was at the recently closed Blue Hour. It's closing, having nothing to do with him. Right. Um, <laughs> this is years after he left. But um, he's really talented, and he's just a really nice guy, which indicates why he has so many supporters and fans in Portland. And after you listen to this interview, you'll probably be one, too. Right at the Fork is supported by... Zupan's Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupan's Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, or Zupan's.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England-style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality, Rock Paper Fish, a partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon Micah Camden in the old Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. And by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever, book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host Chris Angeles. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Canteras of Erdineta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austri Enzyme. Whet your appetite and get more information at portlandfoodadventures.com or contact Red at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more details. Have the... Uh the mic's open right now. You're referring to the headphones. Nothing else you want to, you were going to yes, take off. Yes, that is that is correct. Yes. So just want to make <laughs> want to make sure <laughs> that we're not doing uh, 
We're not, we're it's not, not that kind of show. And it's not that hot outside, so it's actually nice and temperate. It's beautiful outside, yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. So um, It could be that kind of show. Though, yeah, fair enough. If you want it to be. No, 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 Court, we're not going for that. No, okay. It's all right. But, well, and now, now with Kai, we have other guests that we might want to, well, no. See, we've had to learn to stay away from yeah. those old ha-ha jokes. Right. Can't do them anymore. So you mean like the old morning show yeah, radio Yeah, or jokes. anything that has, <laughs> anything that any anybody yeah. could say, oh, that's a little offensive. Is, is, is this what like uh, riding in a helicopter is like, if you have the earphones? No, because it's that? a lot louder. And a plane oh. would be a lot, you'd hear... It, you'd hear everybody be yelling, uh, and so, okay. and then once in a while it would cut out, the so, mic, and the mic quality wouldn't be nearly as good. Right, right. right. So yeah. we got to get. That's what we should do: is a podcast in a helicopter. That, that the would whole be thing. Fun. So what do you think of that over there? <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. You could go to uh, Seaside and rent that tour helicopter. You know, the one right off the one hundred and one. I'm very aware, but I pass <laughs> yeah. it all the time. Yeah. I, have, I have never done that one. Neither have I. I've never been in a helicopter. So oh, so. Yeah. Uh, Not that people are tuning in to hear this, but I'm going to uh, tell you, when we were in, uh, when I was in college, mm-hmm. we were taking a drive through the Grand Canyon, which where I later worked, and oh, you flew did. on this helicopter as yeah. standby when I worked there in the summer of 1980, uh-huh. when Mount St. Helens was erupting. Uh, that's that's my little uh, landmark yeah. moment. So, um, but my my best friend and I were driving through the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. And they had helicopter flights, and um, but like tour flights though. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Was, okay. This was the same thing, but yeah. it was years, a few years earlier. Yeah, and uh, of course we were, you know, this is when we were twenty one, twenty, yeah. pretty buzzed driving yeah. through the desert, <laughs> yeah. catching a buzz, and they had uh, helicopter flights, so we both decided to go on it. Well, we were the only ones on it, and the guy was like a, uh, telling us that he flew in the Korean War. Oh, uh, okay. And he was, he said, do you want to have a little fun here? And yeah. of course, we were, we were right. yeah. <laughs> right. And he flew it with the nose down, as, and it, so oh, it that, felt like we were going right into the side of a cliff. Wow, that's crazy. And then he just lifted up, and the yeah. two of us were, <laughs> you know, eyes popping out. Yeah. So anyway, Daredevil yeah. helicopter pilots, I don't know if I would recommend. Right. Um, but it was fun. Hey, cool. So this is no nowhere near as, uh, you know, Daredevil. There's no, this is easy. You said you've never done radio before. I have This actually isn't radio, because it's not, it's not live. Right. So whatever you yeah. say yeah. isn't this going out there this moment. Yeah. Um, so. so what's the uh, what's the deal with the word amazing? I was laughing when I read that. Well, thing. there's two things with the word amazing. <laughs> I thought of the second. I thought of the second layer this weekend. Yeah. So the thing about the word amazing, uh-huh. and I'm glad you asked because yeah. we don't explain this every podcast. So someone yeah. who's just listening doesn't understand it. Yeah. We've had guests on this podcast who say that word forty times. Right. And so. For us, after a while, uh-huh. it was like, it, everything isn't amazing. Louis C.K. Uh, does a whole routine on everything's amazing, but nothing really is, or something oh, like that. Oh, does he? And um, <laughs> so, but we thought it was uh, a good idea. Let's just ban the word entirely, get people yeah. thinking of using other words. Because yeah. go out there in the, ro- in the world, and everybody uses that word all yeah, the time. It's used fairly often. Yeah, yeah. So now we move to incredible and fantastic. Yeah. But we also thought, it was a little bit, if, if we keep doing this on the podcast, uh-huh. it becomes enough of a thing with the listeners, then every time they hear the word amazing, yeah. they're going to think of the podcast. Ah, uh, okay. And then I'm going to okay. go to a second layer that I thought this weekend. Yeah. So I'm a New York Met fan. Uh-huh. 
from way back. I happened to be in New York this week, and we bought tickets to the Mets game uh, two days ago. And um, they had the uh, they had a tribute to the nineteen sixty nine Miracle Mets, oh, okay. who also were dubbed yeah. by Casey Stengel the Amazons. Oh, so, that's what they were called. Yeah, the Amazing uh, Mets. And then uh, I thought, okay. you know, as a Met fan, I should just say that word belongs to the New York Mets. Uh, and let's you're taking and, ownership of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So that's all nice. this that's time, a good that connection been, too. That could have been a second reason for <laughs> little, you can't little, use that word. A little bit of a stretch, but all right. Yeah. Well, they were, you know. I think that's a great connection with the podcast and your your history with that. Yeah, but that wasn't it. It was really because people just overuse it. Yeah. So um, I tend to use the word awesome. Wait, wait. Yeah, that's the second one. Pretty. I use that word. I would say more than amazing. So let me ask you this: Are you aware of your use of the word awesome? And are you do you try to make a conscious effort, you know, not to say it? But how about all the people with like? I mean, those that and I do it once in a while. I'm guilty of too. But Are I you only bad? Notice, Are you bad? There's some people, sometimes, every other word. If I'm feeling flustered, then yes, it can be pretty bad. But I only notice it, honestly, for myself, if I'm like text, texting. You and, like texting, so you're like texting. And if I reply, you know, if you're in a conversation where somebody keeps on saying like something new, <laughs> you, just, mm-hmm. you run out of the, those words, you know, it's like, cool. Awesome. Right. Great. You know what I mean? <laughs> Start to oh, yeah. repeat yourself. Well, again, that's why so. that's why all of a sudden <laughs> I used to hate emojis and now I love Oh yeah. And the other thing that Super I used useful. to hate was gifts. And now uh-huh. I'll go look I actually crack up at the right oh, gift yeah. at the right time. Yeah. Right? See, I, I don't do the gifts. I've I haven't really gone on that trip. Is that yet. because you don't have time as a, as uh, a I just don't understand like the time it takes to look up a gif it just seems like oh it's kind of fun actually so if if all of a sudden you want to do something like you know picking your nose or something you you do a search for picking nose just on google no right on on facebook oh okay i don't think yeah they don't have them on instagram necessarily that they work i don't think yeah you can't respond with a gif but you can on facebook you can on most of your uh, texting you can right on texting and so all of a sudden they'll be you look for the the perfect one that and it'll fits the and it'll sort of, give you like a full list of it'll show you yeah. well it'll show you animated you can see uh, them all going okay. and so okay. you go oh, that one's uh, that one is actually funnier than I thought I yeah. was going to find okay. my fourteen year old and eleven year old <laughs> will have conversations with each other entirely out of <laughs> gifts and emojis right. like there's no there's nothing else no, but no that. other yeah and, <laughs> they, and they understand exactly what's going on that's awesome yeah. it's crazy <laughs> but it's funny how you come around on that stuff because yeah. I remember when I was annoyed. Buy gifts, sure. or you know, I do hate the the cartoon stickers that are like you know children, right. yeah, you know, jumping up and down. Yeah. And I delete those in my when people respond, yeah, because they're, they're distracting. The ones okay. that, so you're you're all about the live action gifts. Like well, I'm a, real yes, people real them. people, and yeah. I'm that way. I don't like movies, animated movies either. Uh-huh. Let's talk about what I like. This is why you came on the podcast. <laughs> and the other, there's one left that I'll never. I don't think I will ever move on which is the use of lol ah mm. uh, i just think that's so stupid I, and I am and everybody uses it one. everybody yeah. uses it and they're not really laughing out loud yeah. and if someone cracks me up via text uh-huh. i will say you have me laughing really yeah. hard or yeah. you don't do it like a, i do a ha 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 i actually write yeah ha, but ha, that ha. also is yeah. that people are people really no laughing? I, I do that i do that if i'm really laughing but i yeah. but i agree with you i will never do lol yeah i don't like I don't like shortened like the UR. 
Right. Like, I'm just like I'm. I'm with the, Court on that. When yeah. I when I do the ha 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 thing, it means I'm really laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. on my end. Uh, yeah. yeah, and every, yeah. so everything yeah. means different things. But I once had a, um, I'll say this: a chef who would who will remain nameless. Mm-hmm. In this instance, it's actually a pretty funny story. Who yeah. canceled a big thing on me uh-huh. and said, "This isn't really my thing. I don't yeah. think I want to do this." LOL. <laughs> and I was like, "You just—that oh, was like a. This was a trip. <laughs> this was a trip." Oh my god! And I thought, "You just don't know the. You, you, know, uh, yeah. you haven't figured out the actual use of. Yeah. First of all, I'm pissed. Yeah. And second of all, you didn't even get LOL right. So now I'm doubly, doubly right. pissed. <laughs> but I got over it that morning. You know, the mo- the morning of after Trump's election. How about that? And that was the day, that too. Was the, that wow. was the LOL text. <laughs> anyway, so I'm sorry. No, you're good. Yeah, no, this is the podcast. It's no. not, we're not necessarily here to talk about food. You got anything fun to talk about? With, with want to get into food or you want to... Let's talk about your restaurant. Okay. Um, and it's... I have to admit, I've only been there a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I should have been. I wish I could visit everywhere. Yeah. There's a lot often. of restaurants in the city. Yeah. And there are yeah. more and more. And you were, yeah. I was thinking about it on the way in today. You are one of the guys who opened a restaurant in those new spaces that mm-hmm. we're seeing all over the place. Yes. You know, under apartments. And yep. um, you were pretty, that was. We, yeah, when we looked at the building uh, that Donway w- w- is in. Uh, it was a patch of dirt. Mm-hmm. They had literally leveled. There used to be this really odd lawyer's office who did taxes and divorce and also sold like tropical plants out on the front. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that. No. But no. Uh, that's what the building was before, you know, the Beam Development Group and a couple other partners bought the lot, I think, to build the building. Um, and what year was this? Do you this remember was, when you looked at oh, it? Oh, wow. This was in 2015. No, maybe late 2015. Okay, well, that um, was more recently and, than I thought. Yeah, that was only four years yeah, ago. Yeah, but uh, it was it was a real stretch for us at first because there's just there's literally nothing there other than artist sketches, you know. And right, but that's think, exciting for you because most is. people yeah. in your position at the time, yeah. where you hadn't owned a restaurant or yeah. had, yeah. you know, you'd worked at lots of restaurants, right? But would be looking for. You know, the Lardo, the original yeah, Lardo yeah, kind of space. Yeah. How do we make this work? Right. And how do we get beyond this these problems? Yeah, yeah. But you're looking at brand new space. That uh-huh. was exciting. Yeah, it was It was exciting. And uh, yeah, my, I mean, my business partners actually who had no restaurant experience, um, they were just kind of like, this isn't going to work. And I was like, you guys got to trust me. Like, this location is prime. The building's really nice. You know, everything's, it's not every day you get to go into something that's like, everything's up to code, you know, and like seismic and plumbing and all that stuff is right. already in place and you know, it's going to be a hundred percent solid. Um, so it took some convincing, uh, you know, a couple weeks, but, uh, they, they finally kind of signed on to it and, and kind of s- moved forward from there. And so you had never, had you ever run a restaurant before? Uh, uh, you yeah. Were, lots of restaurants. I mean, I was, oh, you'd run uh, them. yeah, yeah. I mean, I was at, uh, well, blue hour was my last gig. It was only a year. Right. Um, okay, but you're you're running the kitchen right, there. And right. Are, are you run? So you're not necessarily you're running the kitchen at, at, at Dunmore Canty. I am running the kitchen as well as all operations. Yeah. Come okay. So you've never done all operations. Uh, not. 100%, I'm not trying to challenge you. I but just pretty. But at Clark Lewis, I spent uh, almost six years there. Okay, and that's it, right. It was pretty close to all operations. Okay, yeah. so that when you were opening this, your investors were had 
high confidence because yes. what I was getting at is yeah. here they had space they weren't real comfortable with. And yeah, now they yeah. Got the, right. You know, so yeah. I just want to make sure they had confidence in you. Yeah. And they did. Obviously, yeah. they put the money up. Yeah. So, um, so, so how's it going now? Uh, it's going, it's in, going great. It's, in this it's crazy always, restaurant world in yeah, yeah, Portland, Oregon. Yeah, it's, it's always changing. Um, you know, when we started, we had a very laser-focused vision of um, Kyle, who's the, one of the main inspirations for our menu, our mm-hmm. opening menu. Um, but, uh, you know, it was the style of food in Beijing that he fell in love with, that he wanted to bring and what's to Kyle's last name again? Uh, Kyle, that is his last name. So his oh. full name is James Kyle, but oh, literally yes, yes, yes. everybody on the planet oh. calls him Kyle. Okay, he's <laughs> yeah. a really nice guy. Yeah, is, I met yeah. him when you first opened. Yeah, so. yeah. and so yeah, he uh, you know we and we still have a lot of stuff on the menu that we change our menu pretty much quarterly. Not everything, but about fifty to sixty percent, and that has evolved. You know, from being almost a hundred percent kind of Kyle's inspiration to us. You know, taking trips back to China. Kyle, especially going back to Beijing, Shanghai, you know, just different larger metropolis cities in China and, you know, kind of bouncing ideas off of like what's in and what's hip or, you know, something that he's never tried before in Beijing and kind of incorporating that aspect of it into the menu. So it's been, it's been really fun to just see the, I guess the evolution of, you know, the style of food of the style of Chinese food that we do. And it was, it was very different. So So what, um, talk a little bit about Kyle. Did he come to you and say, I have this idea because you're not Chinese, right? I'm Korean. Korean. Yes. Yeah. Um, Um, yeah, I, I never cooked, uh, Chinese food professionally before. I mean, at home, you know, quite a bit for dinners or whatever, but, uh, nothing is in depth until I met Kyle. We actually met through a, Realist, a restaurant real estate broker here in Portland, and we were looking for spaces separately. Um, mm. He was looking for spaces for Donway, and I was looking for spaces for Superhawk. And so, um, you know, I toured one space for Superhawk, and the real estate broker just at random w- just asked, "Are you, you know, what exactly are you looking for as far as you know a business partner?" And I was like, "Well, I have one, but you know." I'm open to meeting other people and networking. <laughs> I'm opening to committing adultery on this before <laughs> right, I even get going. Right, right. So she, she was like, well, I have this client. He's looking for a chef who can execute. So I initially thought it might have been, you know, maybe like a six-month consulting or, you know, something short-term just to kind of get the restaurant off the ground. And we met actually um, down at Gigantic Brewing um, for a meeting, which I thought was just going to be like I said, initial conversation. And by the end of it, we were just like, okay, I guess we're going to do this, you know, two and a half hours later. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And so he kind of explained his vision, um, you know, what he had in mind. And uh, yeah. And then we, you know, did the pop-ups for about a year up at Mount Tabor Roastery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just, you know. Started. And were they called Dunway Canting? At they that? were. Yeah. Yeah. They were Dunway Canting. But it's funny because we were, we were always called a pop-up, mm-hmm. but we were never, we never intended to become, you know, a pop-up. Like it was always from the very beginning, it was always going to be a restaurant, like a brick and mortar. You know, we weren't looking to open a food cart or, you know, do any kind of like temporary series. And so I think a lot of people still assume that we opened because we wanted to do a pop-up, but from the very, you know, from moment zero, it was always 
to open I would imagine a lot of pop-ups now, they have the vision of a brick and mortar that I they're going to open eventually. Yeah. I think some of them are, maybe you were in a different category because yeah. some of them are hopeful. Right. Like, right. And it's, okay, and it's we hard. We might if, be able to get here if we can get an audience yeah, going. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really hard too, because if you're working, you know, in the industry and if you're already doing like 45, 50 hours a week, I mean, what time do you have to do a pop-up, you know, and, and at once a month at best. And be a parent. Know? Right. Exactly. On top of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and, look, and be, uh, in your case, you yeah. know, have a, a husband, right? Or no? A wife. A wife. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm saying your head case oh, B. Oh, husband. right, right. Yes, no, of course. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, it for, is. For you so, to do that. Yeah. So you have to have a lot of vision. What was yeah. the, what was Superhawk going to uh, be? Well, Superhawk is. That's uh, what I thought. Yeah, going to be. Uh, it's my fine dining concept. Um, so it's basically my um, vision of, you know, the fine dining place that I've wanted to open my entire career. And, uh it's uh it's been you know there's been phases where i've gotten really close and oh so it's not actually serving no you know? not yet uh-uh. okay we're still looking for physical locations right now i got so, you. so it's not going to yeah. be in the back room where no are. we might do a few pop-ups before the there end of go. the year um but, now i'm not uh, feeling so bad i knew i had yeah. read about it but i yeah. didn't i thought it kind of well you decided to go this right right instead. yeah not a lot of people know uh specifics about it it's not something that i talk about a lot um actually i'm trying to think probably the only person who really knows anything in depth the last person probably gary we we had dinner uh it was a few months ago but i told him a little little bit about it and just oh kinda, great yeah. what did he have to say because he's, he's, got a he's little, told he's got me a that, I'm, of... that i'm crazy <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he would find dining restaurant he probably thinks yeah. you're crazy anyway <laughs> yeah maybe yeah but uh, yeah, no, he's so actually he super. Say, why super did he say you were crazy? What was oh, it? just because Gary knows. And we're talking about Gary the foodie. Yes. So yes. At, at Gary the foodie, if you want to see someone who's not crazy <laughs> yeah. at all, yeah. with regard to food. Yeah. No, I mean Gary. You know, he he's very in the know on the yeah. restaurant industry side of. I think beyond not, Portland. That's right, why it's right, cool exactly. to get his perspective. You know, and he knows how hard fine dining can be. Um, but you know. We just, we'd kind of talk because I wanted his input actually. That's why I asked him, uh, you know, just to chat and, you know, just see what he thought. And, of course. Uh, Does um, anybody pay him for this? Because I'm sure <laughs> you every, know more than anyone else. I, I don't think, think they do. And I don't think he would accept anything. He doesn't get paid to do the podcast. And <laughs> yeah. he comes, but it's yeah. kind of interesting because in, it's very typical of Portland uh-huh. that he's just happy to yeah, yeah, help. Yeah. And, but and, really, he could be charging consulting yeah, fees I, to people. I would not, hey, Gary. Yeah, I would not be surprised if, you know. I want to I want to cut of that if, <laughs> if for that suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but, but he's, so, so, so he said and he thought Yeah, no, and uh, you know, he we we chatted and uh he had some really good input. Um but it was yeah, it was it was good. He had uh he has a lot of perspective as well as obviously with the Portland restaurant scene. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, among chefs especially as like a consumer with very good taste. He's obviously respected uh, as much as anybody in this town, you mm-hmm. know? And so, um, but yeah, I've gotten over the last four or five years, I've met a lot of really good people. Everyone from, you know, line cooks to front of house managers, um, to, you know, consumers, whether it be Gary, the foodie or, you know, a regular that I had at Clark Lewis or at Donway. And, uh, I feel like the, the restaurant community is very, tight knit um and you know you can't 
guarantee success in any restaurant you open, but I feel like Superhawk is going to be a pretty big step forward for me, but also for, you know, just to present the style of food that I want to do there. So, and I think maybe the time is right. I'm not a mm-hmm. consultant on this, but no. it seems to me that with, um, all the hotels coming in and mm-hmm. the Portland food scene relying more on tourist dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That fine dining is probably something that it would work better now than it would have five years ago, or ten years it's ago. Possible. New fine dining, yeah, yeah you never it's, know. It's hard because you know fine dining is. I feel like in Portland, fine dining. I mean, up at, obviously at the upper echelon, we have places like you know Castagna, where Justin's doing amazing food. You know, and for me, I even think of like Hanok as. Mm-hmm. Fine dining, you know, because it's that's fine. It's dining very Portland high, style. right? It's very high end food. I mean, you don't. There's no white tablecloths, or which I'm not a fan of, by the way. Either way, but um, you know, Peter's doing amazing food there, presented beautifully. But it's a very laid back, you know, cool Portland vibe. You know, um, so it's hard to define in Portland. Whereas you go to New York and you say fine dining, and you think per se, you know, you think a terra. You know, you think all of the Danielle, you know, all the Michelin star places. I where also you're gonna think be of the old school. I also think course. of the old school places when yeah. I think of fine dining. I'm yeah. not necessarily thinking because, you know, just locally uh-huh. and, you know, full disclosure, they sponsor the podcast. But ringside, yeah. when I go oh, there, right. that's yeah. that to me is like the service there yes. is like is very different than most other places, yeah. no matter how good a restaurant it is. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of people running great restaurants, but you uh-huh. just have that, a different feeling there. Yeah, and no, I just had it in New York amazing. a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the smallest little thing, uh-huh. that water is full all every second, yeah. you know, and they're watching it. And Right. Anyway, so, yeah. so no, that's my little editorial on that. It's funny you mentioned Ringside, though, because I actually have a lot of history with Ringside. Uh, not personally, pers- well, I guess kind of personally, but um, my uncle is actually uh, really good friends with uh, Scotty, who's one of the owners. Mm-hmm. And so I've been going to ringside since basically like, since I was like born, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, um, but yeah, ringside is classic Portland yeah. place. Well, it, it I don't of, think it gets more classic. Yeah. You can't make an argument that there's anything that's more classic yeah. in Portland. I yeah. mean, I mean, there are, it's in terms of fine dining, right? Right. So yeah. there's sailors and yeah. Ubers and all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. But yeah. um, anyway, they've been doing it a long time. Yeah. So, I, you know, fine dining, it's interesting because I was going to ask Gary mm-hmm. when I went to New York uh-huh. um, where to go, and yeah. the I wanted to go old school. Oh, yeah. So uh, he would have given me all the places that are probably as good, if not a little better than in Portland right. and Brooklyn. Right. And like, that's his style of, if you look at his Instagram. Uh-huh. And I love that, but right. I wanted to go. I went with my girlfriend. And I wanted yeah. her to have the uh, the Italian, like the New week. York, New York places. Yeah, the places yeah. that yeah. I. So when I dined out as a, when I was younger, uh-huh. my parents liked to dine out a lot in uh-huh. Connecticut. Yeah, I thought I've thought about it a lot. Fifty percent of our dining was uh-huh. Italian, uh-huh. and that's what they had there. Okay. Uh, so that's what I wanted to yeah. experience. Yeah, I so. mean that that kind of food is there's no shortage of it in New York, <laughs> and that's not and it's good. <laughs> yeah. It's you know you know yeah. it's great. So. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite kind of, uh, your favorite cuisine? My favorite cuisine? I, I don't really have a favorite. I get asked that all the time. Like, what's your favorite cuisine or what's your favorite dish to cook? Um, well, I I know that changes, but let's say, I mean, there's a couple of ways to ask that question. Last meal, you're getting executed tomorrow. Oh man. That's, that's a really hard one. Um, my last meal actually, honestly, is, would probably be 
what I consider my most epic food memory and mm -hmm. also when I eat it. But uh, from as far back as I can remember when I was like four or five and my mom, my favorite thing she would make me was just a perfect bowl of cooked, just like short grain rice, you know, Korean short grain rice and with a fried sunny side up egg on top. Mm. And she would put a little bit of soy sauce and a little bit of sesame oil on it. And then that's that was a, it. That's about as simple <laughs> as it gets. Yeah, yeah. So you just take it, you know, you crack the egg yolk open, mix it all up and just eat it. But that dish for me has huge significance for not only, you know, what I think of as what I want to bring to people with food as mm -hmm. far as emotionally, but you know, just flavor wise as well. I just, I love that. Combo. So if tomorrow was your last day, you'd probably want to throw a little lobster on that. Uh, maybe you? or a little Dungeness crab <laughs> yeah, or something, so, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, some, shave some Melvin truffles on top and call it good. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but yeah, that's, you know, it, it's simple and very non, I guess fancy, but I think that's probably what it would be. So you've probably had a lot of fun exploring Chinese and Beijing stuff. And yes. how many times have you been over to uh, Beijing? But gone back twice. Nice. Yeah, and Kyle does the every few months kind of thing. But he's that's often with yeah with his work. He's very, uh, you know, there's no set schedule. He just sometimes uh, he'll just disappear for three months. <laughs> I'm like, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm in Vietnam. I'm like. Okay, <laughs> and then then next week is he calling in. that research? Does uh, the IRS need to know how much he's deducting? <laughs> right, right, right. I don't. I don't think so. If he's working for a Chinese company, I think they got all that figured out. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he goes back to China fairly often. Um, he's got, I think, a lot of um, his core group of friends because he lived there for thirteen years. Mm -hmm. So he's got a very, I think, you know, um, solid core group of friends there that he made. And he still stays in touch with you pretty actively. So. Hey, Chris, let's pause a moment and talk about one of our favorite places to eat again, Ringside Steakhouse. That's right. 75 years. The Peterson family has owned it. I wonder if we're going on. No, it's 75. 75 plus, plus one, I think, maybe. Right. But the 75th year was a challenging one for Ringside as well as other restaurants. And, you know, they've been doing their kits, their steak sales uh, since uh, April or May. And now in the middle of August, they're opening their doors and they're taking reservations for indoor and outdoor dining. They've got a tent set up outside. So I am really happy that uh, tomorrow night, Friday, we're going to celebrate the, op the reopening of Ringside Steakhouse and the reopening of dining out. It's so nice to be able to do that again. Yeah, and, and you pointed out making those reservations at ringsidesteakhouse.com or using the uh, Open Table app, but that's the only way you can do it. You used to be able to maybe show up and be able to get into the bar or possibly get a, a table if you were lucky, like on a weeknight, but now you need to do a reservation. They have to be, they have to figure out their seating plan. So make a reservation. And then there's another thing that's exciting. We've been hearing a lot uh, about what's going on in Portland and some of it hasn't been that good, but this is great news and opening of a new place, which is a partnership between the Peterson family of Ringside and also our friend Micah Camden of Blue Star Donuts fame, fame and Little Big Burger fame, and of course, one of my favorites, uh, Super Deluxe. He's opening in the former Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside. I think it's 26th. 
um, is uh, rock, paper, fish. This is this speaks to me, New England style fish and chips with a Northwest uh, personality too. So uh, Micah, when he does something, um, you know it's going to be good. And for the Peterson family to be involved, they're not putting their name on just anything. So this would be something really cool to check out. That, unlike ringside now, is takeout only for a while until things we get out of this COVID situation. That's right. So don't forget, make those reservations for both indoor and outdoor for Ringside Steakhouse at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out Rock Paper Fish as well. That should be fun for you. So how would you describe to the layperson out there the difference between Beijing, the the food that's served in Beijing Mm. and I mean, China's so large. It's so massive. most to, to yeah. idiots like me. I don't know. Well, you know, I'm you know a little. There's Hunan and right. Sichuan and, and, don't, and, and don't feel bad. I mean, that's you know, I, I I don't have a direct answer as far as what differentiates Beijing cuisine from all the other region regionalities. For me, the way that I picture Beijing cuisine is it's the capital city of China, and when on the research trips that I've been on there, it's always been every style of food and dish that I tried with Kyle going around there. Um, it was never just, oh, this is from Sichuan, and so we're gonna try it. Like we went to places that he loved, you know, for example, um, like the Chongqing. We don't have it on the menu right now, but we have these uh, the cold uh, Chongqing liangmian, which is like the cold noodles with a spicy sesame sauce and shredded chicken. Um, he would always go to the Chongqing Hotel in Beijing, which, so every region in China has like a government hotel, uh, from each region. So Hunan, Sichuan, Chongqing, which is kind of part of Sichuan, but it's its own, you know, area, um, where the politicians stay when they're in Beijing, you know, to go do government business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so each hotel has the restaurant is dedicated solely to that region's cuisine. And the Chongqing Hotel was one of the ones that we went to, and we just had these stellar versions of the dish, you know, that didn't originate in Beijing, but was available because it's open to the public. So that's that's your uh, mission statement, really, is if yeah. it's served in Beijing. Yes. Uh, and, and, and we have found uh, it there, done and it's great. Well, yes. Amazing. Like, so that really, could be from anywhere in China. It could be. Just, yeah. yeah. I mean, we have like Xinjiang lamb skewers on the menu and Xinjiang is the literally the opposite end of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's a huge, it's a hugely popular dish all over China. Um, the skewers, you know, but in Beijing it's very high profile because it's just, it's a very communal food. You know, you go to the wet markets down there and you'll see tables with four people and the, uh, no joke, they'll, they'll literally be a hundred skiers on the table. I mm. mean, granted, you know, they don't have a lot of meat on them, right. but still it's pretty incredible to see, you know, that quantity of sticks of protein with only four people sitting at this tiny plastic table <laughs> on the, on the middle of a sidewalk. Um, but you know, we took that kind of refined it a little bit and we didn't really tailor it because the versions that I had in Beijing, there was a few different versions. You know, there was ones that were more mild ones that were more spicy, but the one overlaying factor was always the um, really, really heavy cumin flavor. And so, you know, we did a couple of spice blends to just to experiment with what worked best for us. We found that balance and, 
you know, that has never left the menu at Dunway, which they never will because they're, you know, one of our trademark dishes, the lamb skewers. And so, so am I correct in, in stating that in Portland, spicier sells better than milder? Uh, yes, to a point. Um, we've had a little bit of a battle every once in a while with, you know, some, we'll get this stretch of time for a month where people are like, oh, well, this is not really Chinese spicy, so we'll ramp it up by like 20%. And then you, and then you get like three weeks of people, <laughs> they get a dish and they go, I can't eat this. My mouth is on fire and this is way too spicy. So it's it's a delicate balance. I don't think people in Portland eat as spicy as they think they do mm. overall. Yeah. Well, I say that because things are often... When it, when it goes, when it comes to Asian food, uh-huh. things are often too spicy for me. Yeah. So I, yeah. so you like what, like a little bit of jalapeno spice? Is yeah, that, but yeah. I, I, I like a certain threshold where yeah. it's not overwhelming. Just right. so I get a little, there's a little left in my mouth at the end of uh, yeah. a few bites, but yeah. I don't want to have to, you know, go for something <laughs> that, and it's, it's just what I prefer. Yeah. Now, years ago when I first moved here, uh-huh. pretty much no spice. So yeah. I, I've learned, uh, and my uh, one of my son, one of my sons has a high spi- spi- spice threshold, mm-hmm. and the other one living in Portland. Oh. So as I said, we were eating mostly Italian food and pizza, yeah. and came yeah. here, and you know it's it's elevated a little yeah. bit. So, do you speaking? Are you speaking Chinese now? Uh, speak? No, I I know a few words like food words, but uh, no, I uh, I'm not fluent in. I speak Korean. And, well, let me ask you this, and not to be politically incorrect here, yeah. but are you avoiding conversations about cultural appropriation because you're Asian and you're doing, I does anybody identify it and say, That's hey, a good question. Um, I don't think I am. I, it's not something that I've ever given a lot of thought to. I've I've heard the arguments on well, both you, sides. But you would be giving a thought if someone was challenging right, you. Right, right, right. So yeah, I mean, it I, sounds to me like you're avoiding it, and I, yeah. I'm not, I'm just finding it Fair slightly enough. amusing <laughs> yeah. that, you know, the, the people yeah. who are usually sensitive to that uh-huh. thing aren't doing enough research to say, oh, yeah. wait a minute, he's Korean. Yeah, and right. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I honestly with Dunway, I, ha- I haven't thought of it that much. I haven't been avoiding it. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm been, not challenging you either. I'm just. Yeah, amu- yeah. I'm yeah. finding it. Hey, a Korean what, American guy being a chef at a Beijing right, but, <laughs> Chinese but just, restaurant. But yeah. because we're all, we're pretty much so provincial. Yeah, white people are so provincial. Yeah. They're not really paying atten- that much attention to it. <laughs> He's Asian, and that's Chinese. So it's right, cool. right. So, so anyway, but yeah, no, that's a good point though. Yeah. I, um, you know, it's never come up. Like nobody's ever challenged me on there you go. it, you know, and if anything, I mean, the Chinese customers that we get at Donway, they're actually very, um, especially ones from mainland China, mm-hmm. whether they're students at PSU or, you know, pe- it been people who lived here for 20 years, but you know, who grew up in Beijing or, you know, spent a few years there. Um, they're always very excited because they're just like, how do you know what this tastes like? <laughs> you're, you're Korean American. You're not even Chinese American. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just tell them that, you know, it's, it's just appreciation for good food, appreciation for food culture, which China has one of the oldest ones on the planet. Of course. You know what I mean? I mean, and, and that's, so, that was the, for me, uh-huh. the first, um, ethnic quote, quote, unquote, eth- anything outside of, you know, Italian, I guess. Yeah. But we went to Chinese restaurants no. quite a bit. Yeah. 
when I was a kid. Connecticut has a huge amount of Chinese. I know. I, you know, right? I looked. I was just back there. I was just yeah. looking for the two uh-huh. that we used to go to when I was a kid. Oh. And they're both, they're, the names are gone. I'm sure uh-huh. they may be in the same space with different names. Yeah. But they're gone. Yeah. So that was kind of sad. But I do remember one incident at biting down on red pepper uh-huh. and actually... Uh, I was out with my family, yeah. and I was introducing them. It was right about when I was introducing them to my new girlfriend, who yeah. later became my wife, then my ex-wife. Yeah. And I remember biting down a red pepper, and I just cried. <laughs> it was I was fire. crying. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was, and I was so pissed off. I was like, "Why oh, yeah. did they put this in here? It's <laughs> yeah. miserable." Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. so um, that was a while ago, mm. <laughs> of course. And mm. um, you know, yeah. I still, I still like Chinese. I like a. Yeah. Oh, a lot of Asian food, but I don't think I like it as much as the people in the food industry uh-huh. here, because that seems to be what everybody gravitates. Uh, Chefs, uh, that's what they l- seem to like the most. Is Chinese food? Just Asian food. Oh, Asian Thai, food. Thai, yeah. pho, you know, Vietnamese. Yeah. Uh, agreed. And Other I, than brunch? <laughs> Which yeah. Portland, I guess, all... Portland I don't knows. know if a, lot of sh- if a lot of food industry people are doing brunch. Yeah, I don't maybe see not. that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just... I'm I'm not a bruncher. No. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love a good eggs benedict, but if but I'm not gonna stand in line for you know Are you twenty minutes, let alone anything? for an hour. Would you stand in line do you stand in line for much? Uh when I have to renew my question. driver's license. <laughs> to drive. <laughs> yeah. To yeah. drive. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> but uh, you can find uh you can find places to go that aren't long lines here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For that. Yeah. I, I love that. In Connecticut, it was a yeah. four-hour ordeal. Oh, really? Oh, here you can go to Lake Oswego. That uh, one's pretty quick, quick. And I yeah. go to Astoria now. Yeah. Boom. In and yeah. out for yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you get to travel? Are you traveling much? How old are your uh, kids? How old are your... My, I have one son, and Egan is six now. So he's going into first grade this coming year. Nice. That's a good uh, age. Yeah. Six is a really fun age. It is. Six yeah. to 11. Six five to 11? To, is that, is that 11. the pocket? Well, you know, it depends. I have different kids. Everybody's different. Yeah. But my, you know, six to eleven, they're yeah. pleasant ages. Yeah. They're eye, they're wide eyed and right. Um, right. they're they're always looking at things in a positive way. I can't say every kid does, but yeah. I, I think it's fun. Yeah. They're, they're it not is. yet getting jaded. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. He's in an interesting spot because he's uh, he's actually at uh, the international school. Mm-hmm. Um, in Japanese immersion. So how's that for a multicultural oh, Asian? Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> family, yeah. So he, um, and do you do, are you in turn speaking I, Japanese? I've learned a few words, but I do need to get more. I have an app that I downloaded. Um, Does Duolingo che- uh, teach Japanese? Or I no? don't know Duolingo. The one that I have is called Rocket Japanese. I think. Oh. Yeah, but uh, I haven't been as good as I should have on it. But yeah, he's you know, fluent conversationally and pretty much, you know, knows the entire hiragana alphabet, which is incredible since he never spoke Japanese before. And so now he's, you know, in the mode of, you know, his mind is expanding and you can just tell like like every day because he reads actually better now in Japanese than he does English. Wow. (laughs) So my son did the same thing. He learned uh, Japanese Uh and then he learned Chinese. Oh. On his own. You know. That's crazy. I I was out getting high during high school. (laughs) And that's what he wanted to spend. And he was, I think it turned out. And the first time he traveled internationally on Uh his own, he went to Beijing. Oh, nice. Which was Uh very cool. Nice. Um, But I did see him wearing a mask. 
yes over there so Sometimes. my first thought is that's not where i want to go on yeah. vacation necessarily to where uh, yeah, go, uh, I, I feel like springtime is probably the best time if you don't want to get in too much pollution <laughs> um, yeah that's not where i'm the first can, idea let's yeah. go where there's a lot of pollution <laughs> it can get really bad it's an amazing city but yeah the smog there is it's incredible because i thought that i'd seen really bad smog in new york la um because I lived in LA for a couple of years and, you know, smog down there can get pretty bad by American mm-hmm. standards, but LA is like amateur hour compared to how well, Beijing. Well, not can as get. much as it used to be, too. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, I that, was down that there years well. ago. Yeah. So you've lived, you've lived in Hawaii. You've lived, lived in Hawaii, and uh, lived Los in Angeles, LA, Los, and uh, Spain. Sp- that's right. Yeah. Spain. So if you could pick any place that you could live, regardless, outside of, where you need to sustain a lifestyle for business standpoint. Let's uh-huh. say you're going to retire. And where's your favorite place so far that you've been, or that you that you've lived, there's, or that you've visited? There's there's two. It would probably either probably be back to San Sebastian. Yeah, nothing wrong in with Spain, that. Or Kyoto in Japan. And I've mm-hmm. never lived in Japan. I've only visited, but uh, Kyoto is just it's an amazing. Uh, Amazing city. Uh, so you picked two of the best food destinations. Yes. And that's just from yeah. my reading. I've been to San yeah. Sebastian. I've never been to Japan. Yeah. But from what I've read, those, and, and I know Bor- mm. Anthony Bourdain, when he was in Portland, and uh-huh. someone asked him if you could only eat one, go one more place and uh-huh. eat in your the, for the rest of your life, he said Japan. I don't think he oh, got yeah. specific as to where. Yeah. But I mean, here's a guy who knows. Right. Yeah. Um, but San Sebastian too. Yeah. San Sebastian is amazing. Yeah, I, I uh, when I lived there, I mean, you know, we would go on food, like just runs out in the Parte Vieja, you know, mm-hmm. on usually Monday nights because that was our only day off. Um, but uh, yeah, I just loved it. You know, everything from getting up in the morning to getting that morning tortilla for breakfast and a little cafe mm-hmm. to you know when it's like two in the morning and every you know all the line cooks are super drunk and they're like okay what club are we going to go to you know starting at 2 a.m because you know they're open till 5 30 or whatever mm-hmm. over there and so. spain is incredible you can go <laughs> yeah. buy a place at midnight nothing's happening <laughs> yeah. and then a yeah. couple of hours later right it's uh it's pretty crazy do you yeah. miss the clark lewis blue hour style of food um i because you did I that do, for a long time. Yeah, I know. I, I do. Uh, Clark Lewis, for me, was probably the main influence for, you know, learning just really how to respect product because we had access to, you know, everything. I mean, we did a rooftop garden there. You know, we I started that back in 2000 and, um, what was that? 2009. You know what I mean? Where it wasn't even a thing. Like, I was just like, right. across from us, the Harvester building, they have a rooftop. And they're just like, we got some planter boxes up there, you know, with some pretty good space. If you guys want to do any herbs or I even have a, I don't know if they took it out yet, but I planted a bay leaf tree up there, like a laurel tree. <laughs> and what, quali- what so, where did you get the knowledge to do that? Um, just for the garden. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean garden, some of it, I mean, some of it was Spain. Some of it was Spain because there's actually uh, at Mugaritz, like there's a garden, uh, there on site. Um, during the warmer months, but uh, a lot of it too was just me trial and error. I mean, you know, I looked up um, different like soil um, mixes, uh, you know, fertilizers that were obviously non-chemical, you know, all, all that stuff. And then just kind of, you know, picked, went through charts of seasonal uh, 
um, just like herbs and, you know, lettuces, stuff like that. That was, you know, not that required care, but nothing crazy. Like I didn't have to tend to it literally every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just kind of went from there and it, it kind of blossomed because all of a sudden all the cooks started to get super excited about it. And so, um, you know, they would come in and be like, oh, hey, you know, I, I'll come in an hour early if I can go up there and, you know, do mm. any kind of like weeding or surprisingly, even on the fourth floor of a roof in Southeast Portland, you can get weeds <laughs> up there. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it was just learning from doing it for the did, first year. And then did it make you a better chef having it, b- it did. been a it did. quote unquote urban gardener? Yeah, yeah, it did. Because even something as simple, actually a great example is uh, we planted a quite a bit of Italian parsley. Cause mm-hmm. we used a lot of it at Clark and there would be weeks where you could tell in the summertime where if you didn't water, you know, after you trimmed off what you needed that by, by Friday or Saturday, you'd start to get low. And you know, when you're used to for a month and a half, two months, not ordering parsley from your produce purveyor and <laughs> your only source, you know, obviously other than drive down to Sheridan and get like six bunches for the night. Right. But when your cook comes like, and he's like, or she is like, I don't think we have enough parsley for tonight. You kind of get that perspective of, oh, wait, I'm growing this. And so, you know, we need and more to, respect for right, it. Right. Right. Yeah, you know, it's, and it's work. I mean, you know, it's, it's very simple, um, product, but to keep it alive and producing, especially for a, you know, a busy restaurant, it's, it definitely puts things into perspective. Yeah. Who were your, who was there when you were there? Who are your influences at Clark Lewis? Which by the um, way, mm-hmm. for the uninitiated back in 2009 yeah. or probably a little before that, yeah. you know, if you were talking about the top 10 restaurants in Portland, yeah. there's no time that Clark Lewis would not have been listed yeah. back yeah. then in the late 2000 aughts. Right. Two, right. So. Yeah. No. Um, so I started there. Um, Clark Lewis was my first job back in Portland. Um, because I moved, when I finished at Mugaritz, I went straight to Los Angeles um, to go stodge at a few places. Um, and then I found out about the sous chef job at Clark Lewis. And I was still living in LA. And so I, uh, you know, um, applied. I was still living in LA, applied. We set up a stodge and I flew up here. Um, and it was when uh, Dolan Lane was actually the exec chef. Mm-hmm. Um, he had just moved to Clark Lewis from Blue Hour. Um, and, uh, you know, did the stage, uh, got offered the job and then I flew back to LA for, it was about a week and then came back up here, um, to start. And then, you know, Dolan was there for about three and a half years. And then he went back to blue hour and then I took over as exec chef at Clark. Um, and you're, that was back home for you. You grew up in Portland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you also didn't start out, you know, in your scholastic years. Yeah, you were you were on your way to computer science. Yeah, right. right so this right. is very different. Yeah. So it was, you know, the the transition to the culinary was um, was very it was a really lucky time for me. But also, yeah, I mean, it was you know never something that I looked for as a career before I found cooking school because I never worked in a restaurant before. Right. You know? And did you feel like you were, um, leaving something behind? Did, uh, were you, did you have some, were you unsure about it? Uh, you... no, I, <laughs> <laughs> I literally, uh, yeah, no, I, I didn't even really think about it. 
because um, I went to culinary school up in Seattle, mm-hmm. up in Seattle Central Community College, and uh, I I always thought that you know a day job, whatever you want to call it, the nine to five, right? You know, you go clock in, go to your desk, clock out, um, was going to be the norm because I didn't know any better, right? You know? And um, in Seattle, that's kind of what you did, yeah, computer yeah, science, right? Right, that's a- right. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I, you know, I entered culinary school just to kill a quarter because when I transferred back from Hawaii, I lined up all my credits to go to the UW and finish there at University of Washington. And I just, I entered culinary school on a whim because a buddy of mine told me that they have a cooking school there. So I was like, uh, that'll, that'll be super fun, you know, for something a you can use for a lifetime. Yeah. So if you can lose, <laughs> yeah. learn to cook, and, and, I, and I always loved cooking. And you know, he, so I went, um, I dropped, I actually was at Seattle central to take an anthropology class that same day. I toured the kitchen and kind of the classroom facilities. And I was like, Oh, this would be cool. So I dropped the anthrop- anthro class, entered into, cl- into the culinary thinking it was just going to be that one quarter. And that, I went in literally the first day and it was kind of weird because all, you know, everyone's in chef coats and you got your shiny new clogs in here, like check chef pants and, uh, you know, sat down, um, went through a little bit of an orientation. Uh, we were using the CIA cookbook. I forget the title of it. It's, it's pretty famous. Um, but, uh, the CIA cookbook like textbook came down and I opened it up and, you know, just started flipping through it for a few minutes. I was just like, holy shit. Like, I'm not, I'm going to finish this program <laughs> and this is what I'm going to do, you know? So that's how I started cooking was, um, and can just, you code? Could you code? Uh, no, no, I, I knew a little bit, but it, for me, I actually went, I was double majoring cause I was an English lit as well. And so mm-hmm. I was interesting. Giving me yeah, more interest. Cause I wanted to be a, a teacher. And so like, like an English oh, teacher. Now you so, are. I'm sure you're teaching a lot uh, yeah. of people how to cook. <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, um, yeah, the computer science was basically just to kind of make the parents happy telling them I had a kind of a backup plan of how to make money, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to like, I was really into it. (laughs) My guess is that if you're not into computer science, you're (laughs) probably not good. Well, I guess some people could make some money, but you have to be passionate about what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And And, so, and I'm a very firm believer in that as well. And so how has, uh, how has cooking worked out financially for you is it it's worked I'm out always, i'm always very curious about mm. how it's working for chefs and you know yeah. it's a tough world out there yeah. the margins are small no nope. it's thankless it's, i can't say it's thankless work mm. but it's hard work it is and there, yeah. and i don't see a lot of at least in portland i don't yeah. see a lot of chefs driving bmws right. and, no. and with vacation homes right right so um, whereas in other markets you would probably yeah. see that yeah. Yeah. No. Um, overall, I mean, I can't complain. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a, Oh, like, you know, cooking is like for a perfect example is, you know, a lot of people call cooking an art, that argument. I don't really think of cooking as art. I think it is of it as a craft. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think in any kind of, you know, restaurant situation, it is really hard to make a ton of money, you know, and I'm not going to bullshit you. Like I don't dislike money. <laughs> you know what I mean? It'd be nice to have a house next to you in Manzanita, you know, that I go to well, every summer. <laughs> I'm not, mine isn't, it's, don't worry. Yeah, the house is next to mine are nice, but mine yeah. is, a, is a, Yeah. But, uh, um, but overall, no, I'm, I'm good. I, I feel good about the direction 
that I'm going as far as professionally. Um, Would you want Egan to go that direction? If he wanted to, yeah, I think I would support him. Mm-hmm. Um, as as a parent and not as a chef, I don't know. It's a fifty fifty coin flip mm-hmm. um, because, like you said, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's a very hard industry. You know, the hours are shitty. Um, are they know. better for you now, though? That they you're are up and running. They are better, yes. Um, but still, it's it takes a lot of uh, time and footwork to keep a place going. You know, even from an owner operator kind of standpoint, um, there's definitely perks to being able to open up your time more. Um, but in between the lines, there's still a lot of just you know stuff that happens that you got to deal with it, you know, four in the afternoon on a Saturday, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, we'll see. I'm interested. <laughs> I find it interesting that you call it a craft and not art because yeah. what you're, what you're doing is artful. You're changing, you know, you're yeah. doing some research and, yeah. uh, you know, but having been at blue hour uh-huh. and Clark Lewis, that's yeah. artful food. I think of it yeah. that way. Yeah, but, but anybody who's running those kitchens, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's, you know, for, as a diner, yeah. it's beautifully artful. Right, so. right. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I love the aesthetics of food, you know, mm-hmm. especially with something like Super Hawk, like, you know, composed plates. I mean, I, you know, when fine dining, like, I love, you know, I love seeing a line cook, you know, do small dice with a ruler. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of shit excites me. But I still don't think of it as art. Because for me, like, art is Da Vinci or Van Gogh or, you know, like something like a painting or a sculpture. Whereas with food, it's, it can be artistic, I guess in your vision, but I just, I don't think of it as like, well, I'm going to, I'm, it's not something I've given a lot of thought to, yeah. but as you're talking, I'm going to throw this at you. Yeah. So art for me, and uh-huh. I, you know, I have a little bit of art uh-huh. and I like it yeah. and r- ranging from paintings to a little sculpture uh-huh. and, and it sticks with me, and mm-hmm. it and it touches me, and I remember it. Yeah, it's always something that's important. Yeah. same thing with food. There are certain food that yeah. you try that yeah. it would I would call well that was art because it stuck with me, and I oh. remember it. And in the same way, you know, yeah. I'm ingesting it. Right. actually, that's that's so, a good point. It's just something to think about. Yeah, and you know, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not trying to inspire you at all, but yeah. I'm sure people have eaten your food, and it's made. Yeah. That type of difference in yeah. my life. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's it can, that's it actually can be pretty. Artful. That's a good point. Yeah, I I get it, but yeah, I don't know. For me, I think it's it's mostly the reason that I don't think of cooking as art and think of it as a craft is that there's a lot of people, a lot of chefs and cooks who don't understand the complexity of what we do on a bigger picture, mm-hmm. you know, and especially nowadays, you know, it's all about, Oh, like the latest Instagram post of my, you know, beautiful, like, you know, eight component dish. I'm just like, try, try doing that for 200 people on a Saturday night, motherfucker. <laughs> like, yeah. And then show me what your fucking plates look like. It's like, they have no clue. You know I mean? It's like the understanding of flavor of technique. Um, and you because, don't see that on Instagram posts. It's uh, yeah. just what it looks like. Yeah. yeah. And by the you way, know? how do you feel about that when someone, You've obviously the food being hot is important to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's like very important. Yeah, so, yeah. and then when you put it down, and there's uh-huh. five minutes of picture taking. Right. But how do you feel I, as, a, as a chef? Um, I think as a diner, it's 
it's whatever you want to do. You know, if you're paying for the meal, that's your choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that if you start to become, and don't get me wrong, I love seeing beautiful pictures of food on mm-hmm. the, on Instagram or Facebook, whatever, just as much as the next person. But if you as a chef start to think that, you know, some blogger who's going to come to your restaurant and take a photo is more important than what your food tastes like, mm-hmm. then you're, you probably shouldn't be in the game anymore because at that point you've lost all, you know, there's and just, there's no reason. It's like, why are you, <laughs> are there, do you see a lot of chefs in Portland that might think that's more important? Uh, no, not in Portland, but uh, elsewhere, bigger cities. I mm-hmm. feel like it's become very, um, and you know, part of it is the balance without social media. Now, 10 years ago, I would have laughed in your face, but I understand that Facebook and Instagram are huge tools. And for creating and business cheap. and commerce. They're very yeah, cheap. Yeah, and so yeah. is Yelp, even though right. people hate it. <laughs> yeah. It's a cheap, you know, otherwise yeah. you'd have to be buying ads in Portland Monthly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If they, if take away yeah. social media, mm-hmm. how would you get the word? How would Yeah, I mean you'd you'd have to get a review or, you know, right. yeah, you know, Willamette Week or yeah, you know, Portland Monthly or whatever. Um but yeah, I mean it, it's And a, how far would that go? So yeah. if your review, think yeah. about that. If you were reviewed you can only get reviewed so often. Mm-hmm. And then in a city like Portland, yeah. you're not the next best thing. Like yeah. how many people are That's reviewing true. Paley's Place yeah. today? That's true. There aren't many yeah. reviews of Paley's yeah. Place. Yeah. But because of social media, right. they're it's, still it's, there. It's a monster. Pl- I mean, it's the future, you know, for especially for the restaurant industry. Um, but I find as a diner, I, right. I don't know if you go to my feed, I, I do. there's food Check there. Yeah. There's food there. Yeah. But I honestly, and I did this this weekend. Uh-huh. I don't feel like posting. I just feel like enjoying (laughs) this meal and not making it about, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you the truth. And this is most of my, my favorite meals. Uh There's no Instagram because I'm engaged and I'm enjoying it Uh and it's not about that. So that's not to say I wouldn't take a quick picture and post it later. And that's a whole other conversation too of, Oh my God, like I can't even in a fast casual. I understand you fine. Don't take a, you know, don't take a picture. I don't want you to, but like people who come in to any restaurant and that disconnectivity that they order and then all four people at the table are on their phones. Well, that was my question <laughs> to you. Suck. The five minutes. Are you guys serious? All like, four. Yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. and taking a different angle. Yeah, yeah. I actually like yeah. um, the, I like the architecture and the yeah. restaurant. Yeah. I feel like there's so many pictures of food. Yeah. So if I post a picture of food, it's another one. It's the same dish uh-huh. as 60 million other people yeah. just posted. Yeah. Whereas if I can get a nice angle of the restaurant and give people that uh, yeah, feeling, yeah. I like that better. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I yeah. like my dogs and my coast. But, <laughs> yeah. but food itself, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing it because I have kind of a business. And sometimes yeah. it's like, oh, cool, look at this white clam pizza that I right. just had. Right. But um, anyway, so, it's, a, it's an interesting factor because it's not something they taught you in culinary school. You no, know, no, it's a big part. Nobody of it. saw it coming when I was in culinary school. You know? Yeah, I mean, but I wonder if they're if they if they have Instagram one hundred and one now in culinary school. I I would not be surprised if bigger schools like the CIA or Johnson and Wales have some kind of like side, you know, credit program where that is something that you study or whatever. That wouldn't be actually a big surprise, right? And yeah. hiring a chef yeah. because they get the Instagram. Yeah. Which is another big thing too that I don't want to go there because I have all kinds of thoughts on that too. Like but, what? Well, just I it's it just goes with the same thing of you know chefs who have all this you know cooking experience with us, so they say. But like you know, you go to them and you're like, 
can you can you just make me mirepoix and a really good simple veal stock and they'll be like can i brush it on a plate with a paintbrush mm. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> and, and that kind of attitude i feel like it, it kind of cheapens the the whole perception of fine dining you know especially fine dining i mean cooking in general but for me that's the kind of stuff that you know takes away from what i do as a chef you know because people who don't understand the amount of work and technique and time that goes into really good food. Um, they'll just, they'll never understand it. I mean, just like I said, it, it, if it looks pretty great, but what does it taste like? You know? And at the end of the day, if it doesn't taste good, I mean, it's just, what's the point? <laughs> I also believe because of Instagram, yeah. there are a lot of people that, automatically think something is good because everybody else has jumped on. They're jumping oh, on right. the bandwagon. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, so totally, I've had plenty of things totally like agree. that. I just don't, you know, this uh -huh. is not that great to me, but yeah. everybody else seems to like it, so mm -hmm. good. I don't have the same yeah. palate that everybody else does, right. so whatever. Right. But I do think there are a lot of places that yeah. get great, uh, you know, get a lot of play yeah. out there, and then people automatically like it no matter what. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm not going to name a few, yeah. but, uh, but Hey, just because you put edible flowers on a pizza, doesn't mean it's going to taste good. <laughs> right. Like, and I'm not even talking about the edible flowers. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, there's some places I like, why does it get so much attention? But, yeah. uh, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with, with chef personality yeah. too. It Everybody does. likes them. Yeah. So when the chef community loves them, uh -huh. then that, then that permeates outside into right. the dining community. Right. I think that, right. that happens a lot. Yeah. So uh, is there any place in particular that you've been recently that you're, that has excited you or that you, if some friends were coming into town, you'd say you have to go there? Um, lately, let me think. Um, I really like, uh, you know, the Shigezo group in town. Mm -hmm. um, they opened a little place down on MLK called Wa Kitchen Koo. Oh, that's a new um, It's... Very different than their other places because the other places are, they're okay. I mean, you know, not bad, but um, the their udon at Wakich and Ku is excellent. Um, I was very surprised when I went, and I've gone back, and it's been just as good every single time. Um, that that's one. Um, I went back to actually Renata recently. Mm -hmm. I hadn't been in probably a couple of years. Okay. Um, it was really good. So, yeah, and Chris is still there, right? Chris? I don't think so. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. I, I'm not 100%. Okay. I don't know for sure. But, because um, I see Chris, uh, he comes to Donway um, every once in a while, but I don't know if he's still there. Um, but either way, it was excellent. Um, it was really good. Well, that's good to hear. I haven't, um, been, there, I haven't been there since... Um, since... Since Siegler? Yeah, Matt. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got up 3 a.m. this morning. Oh, yeah. So, uh, through, since Matt's last day yeah. there, as a matter of fact, oh, okay. that was the last, okay. last time I was there. So it's um, good to hear that. Yeah, good. It's, it's, it was really good. And then I went to Hanok last night, which is obviously excellent. Oh, that's new. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let me ask yeah. you, and that's good. It always is. It's, yeah. it's always great. And yeah. every, everybody always says it's, yeah. they have a great time there. Yeah, so yeah. It's, yeah. But it's also, you know, just the environment, it's so comfortable there. Mm -hmm. You know, because it doesn't matter who you and you Peter could be, and Son, you got right, love right. Peter and Son. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you might see Gary there. Is he still <laughs> serving? 
Oh, he wasn't so. there last last. I night, don't think but. he's doing that anymore because it's elsewhere. <laughs> was he, was he working there part time too? Oh, he was. Yeah, I know he, he eats there a lot. He was running. He was oh, running really? for them. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. So that nice. was pretty cool for nice. quite a while. They're good friends. So if someone were going, you were going to Dunway, what what would you suggest? What would you be happiest to see them order? Um, at Dunway, probably I would say our uh, um, lamb skewers. Mm-hmm. Any of the. Well, the, either the lamb or the pork rojamo, which is the Chinese burger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think what for the true like Beijing experience. Um, I guess our wontons are really good too. We do a, um, it's a Sichuan style wonton. So it's a pork wonton, um, but uh, it comes with a, uh, um, it's like a black vinegar chili sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very complex, sour, sweet, salty. Um, spicy all at the same time. So that's a really nice, um, also another really nice dish that we have right now. Fantastic. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, I think those three are pretty good start. So for those people who are a little spelling challenged, can uh, you give them the Instagram and anything they need to know to get to your restaurant, either physically oh, yeah. or find so out our, and do the research before going, yes, which I So website to do. is just, uh, you know, www.danweikenting.com. And that's D, like David, A-N-W-E-I-C-A-N-T-I-N-G.com. And, and then our Instagram is just at Dunway Kenting. No PDX. So, you're, not, uh, nope. you're not worried about anybody else no, taking that name. No, yeah. Somewhere. And what is yeah. that name? Where, where's that direct? So Dunway Kenting is, comes from uh, back in the communist times. Um, it's, and not only in Beijing, but across China, around the larger cities, um, cities of industry. Um, there were a lot of, uh, areas where they would, uh, locate a specific type of labor or work, you know, like, let's say just as a random example, like a TV factory. Um, and within that area, there would be living quarters, uh, cafeterias, almost like its own, like self-contained kind of village mm-hmm. where all the workers and the families would live together. And the cafeteria where all the families ate, um, was, you know, one of the main kind of group areas where they would congregate and that the workers cafeteria, which basically translates to Dunway Kenting, um, those were called the Dunways. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's where the name comes from. Kyle actually learned it when he was in China and always kind of held on to that romantic, you know, idea of, um, just kind of that time period. Um, cause you know, obviously there's, there was a lot of political strife during that time too, but there's a lot of good things that happened in China during the, you know, the communist times mm-hmm. as well. Um, but, uh, that, that's where the name comes from. Very so, cool. Yeah. So we, you know, for us bringing it to Portland, it was more about, you know, than the name, but also it's, you know, a restaurant for everybody, you know, not just whoever, but. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Superhawk, I want to talk to you about that when you get that going for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. A PFA thing. Yeah. I tend to put people on the spot here and they say (laughs) yes with a mic in front of them Uh and then it might be a little different thing when that actually happens. But I wish you luck with that. Thank you. Because that's your your passion. And I also thank you for coming in on fairly short notice, not too short notice. Yeah, no. I try to leave. Well, we try to leave these open so that Uh when something comes up, because if we're booked too far out, then... So, right. but sometimes we're booked for it and sometimes we're not. Yeah. And also thank you for being, uh, I think a lively, fun, 
interview. Oh, yeah. Because, no I, frankly, I came in here this morning after, you know, missing a connection at, at midnight oh, you, you last night <laughs> and yeah. had to stay in Seattle and uh, get up at 3.30 this morning uh, to get that's here. that's why. And I was, uh, you know, sometimes you're, uh, <laughs> but you kept me, kept. I don't, you kept me yeah. awake. Yeah. I think Court was awake the whole time. He's not. He's not sleeping over there. No. No. <laughs> no. I wish I was. Did we wake you? I'm no. sorry. What? No, yeah. no. Do you have a long night too, Court? No, but you're very interesting to talk talk to and yeah, thank um, you. Likewise. Speak with. Speak with. Yeah, cool. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you over at the at Tunway. Yeah. Soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right